It's just a real treat to still occasionally be invited to a pulpit. And uh, yeah, in many ways, I, people say, well, what are you? What do you? I say, I'm a have-been. <laughs> I have been a pastor. I have been a district superintendent. But now I'm just a regular member in a church. Actually, I'm not even a member there. I just attend. So, But we're attending a CRC church two blocks away from our home. Immensely enjoying it and uh, get to see what it's like just to be uh, somebody in the pew and realize there's a little different perspective from that side <laughs> than there is from being the pastor. But anyways, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Great to be in Wainwright once again, one of the favorite places we had to, to come to, and it's been a number of years since we've been here now, I think. So uh, thanks for inviting us back here. We're looking at uh, Colossians, and the passage I was given to speak through was Colossians 2, verses 6 to 23. Have you all read this this week? Are you on a reading program as well? You are. So will I bore you if I read it again? Because I just think the word of God is far more powerful than my words. So I think it'd be great just to read it again in case there's some that haven't read it. And then we'll get into uh, our message this morning. Paul writing to Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but with a circumcision in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out their certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he is, was take, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I recognize that this is your word, spoken first and then written, made permanent for all generations. And sometimes as we read it, we struggle to understand it. But your spirit inspired it, and we pray now your spirit would come and illuminate it to us as well. So we would understand it as you intended it. And that we would apply it in our lives and in our hearts the way you purposed it. We pray that you would give me words in my mouth as well that come from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I noticed uh, when I got my cell phone bill that it was $10 higher than um, it had been for the last two years on my monthly plan. So I realized, okay, I must have uh, had my present plan expired, so I better go and see about enrolling in a new plan. I also realized with the plan being expired, my phone would have been paid off. So if anything, there should have been a deduction because I'm no longer paying for a phone. But unfortunately, it didn't work that way. They raised the price. So I went to my service provider in the mall and um, I explained that to him and he said, well, let me just quickly look and so he said, sure enough, um, yeah, you've come, reached the end of your plan. Well, I said, why didn't my bill drop? Because my phone is also paid off then. Well, he said, it must have gone up because certain credits you got when you bought the plan and the phone now also have come off. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I said, I'd like a new plan then. And he said, okay. So he said, are you happy with your plan? I said, well, yes, I am. Are you happy with your phone? I said, yeah, it's worked great for two years. I've had no problems whatsoever. I've got all the data I need, yada, da, da, da. And uh, he said, well, let me see what uh, I can give you. I said, well, it says right there, 30 gigabyte plan for $34. That's $30 cheaper than my present bill is. I said, I'll take that one. 
Well, he said, I can't give that one to you. I said, well, you're advertising it. I said, that's false advertising. No, he said, that plan is just for new customers. <laughs> oh. I said, so what can you give me? Well, he looked and looked and he said, the best I can give you is $40 a month. But you get 40 gigabytes instead of 30. I said, I don't need 40 gigabytes. 30 gigabytes has been more than sufficient for anything I need in a month. Well, yeah, but you're getting more. I said, I don't need more. I said, how come is it that you treat your new customers better than your loyal customers? Well, he said, because we give you an upgrade. I said, but I don't need an upgrade. Well, I, folks, I have an upgrade that I don't need. <laughs> it's still cheaper than my last plan, but it's not as cheap as if you go to that company and start all over again, which is interesting to me. We're, but you know, it just struck me, we are a strange lot of people. We always want something new and improved, right? We want a little bit more, a little bit better. Our new car needs to have a few more gadgets than the last car had. If you get a new software program, it has to be better than the last version. Even though the last version probably works better than the new version. I always liked my Windows uh, nine or Windows 8, I forget which one it was, but it sure works better than Windows 11. So, but it's new and improved. Or else we try to get a little extra somehow. I was walking through shoppers this week and I happened to go down the aisle which was all the ladies improvement product, products, you know, the, the face paint. And I noticed that with all the pricing, there were tags, the price of the product plus 15,000 points. Are any of you wearing points on your face today? <laughs> but you know you can. You can get 15,000 points extra with some of that face cream and whatever else you have to use or think you have to use because it's better, it's more. For years I collected petrol points with all the driving I did. I never had a clue what to do with them. But I was collecting and collecting and collecting and I had a lot of points. And one day I thought I better see what I can do with them and I asked the cashier at the service station, what could I actually do with this stuff? Well, you'd probably get a few extra bottles of water or something. And I said, oh, it doesn't put extra gas in the tank. No, no, you can't use it for gas. Well, I said, that's what I come here to buy. I don't need water. I can't put that in the fuel tank. 
The bottom line is that he checked how many points I had and found out it was pretty much zero. I said, well, that wasn't what it was a month ago when I got my statement. So then I, he said, well, let me check. And he said, you better write in here to the company what's happened to your points because somebody's taken out all your points. Well, sure enough, that's what had happened. Some cashier somewhere had noticed I have a lot of points. And they took it all. But I didn't even pursue it. I thought, I haven't done a thing with all those points in 15 years. They never made a difference other than they could say, you got a little extra. Come to Petro-Canada and you can get points. Wow. We're so taken in by new and improved. Coke. Remember for years we drank Coke. Some of you drank Pepsi. The real macho ones drank Coke, right? And then Coke decided that they could improve their flavor. How did that work out for them? Now it's Coke classic. <laughs> we had to go back. New and improved doesn't always mean better. You go into the grocery store and look at the laundry soap, all the different shapes, jugs. Do you know why they changed the shape on a jug of laundry? For one of the reasons? Because to be able to put new and improved, you don't actually have to change what you put in the jug. You just have to change the jug. If you put in a better pouring spout, that's new and it's improved. And you sell the same thing. Isn't that interesting? Because we're captivated by new and improved. Well, why am I going on this? You're wondering, how, what does this have to do with Colossians 2, verse 6 to 23? Well, let me give you a little bit of background here. Paul is writing to the Colossian believers. He has never been to that church that we know of. He hasn't met them as a congregation. Uh, based on what we know from Acts 28, when he writes this, he's in prison, uh, waiting trial. And he writes soft uh, letters to some churches, and one of them is the Philippians, and then the Colossians. And uh, he might have met one or two of the people if they traveled through, but he has never actually been to the church. But he's heard about them, and particularly through a fellow servant, Epaphras. And Epaphras has told him about this church. And uh, reminds Paul that they're a church whose uh, they are constantly bearing fruit and increasing. At Colossians 1 verse 6 says. And uh, so they're, they're good things that Paul's heard. Their salvation is real. It's genuine. They are abounding in every which way. But here Paul says to them as he writes this letter, he says, I want you to keep walking in Christ 
just as you received him, verse 6. Now that's really the key to this letter, I think. Keep walking in Christ as you received him. They weren't supposed to add anything to their salvation. There's nothing to add to the simplicity of the gospel. We grow in Christ not by addition. How many things we can tack on. How many extra points or how many ways we can think it's new and improved. We grow by nutrition but not by addition. And it's our human nature to think that when things get more complicated, and we make them so, that somehow we have something better. That there's a new and improved version of the gospel out there. And the Colossian believers were being challenged by some false teachers to include some extras to the simplicity of faith in Christ. And this, of course, is how many of our sects and denominations have come about. Not all of them, many of them have also come about just simply because of culture and different language groups and this type of thing. But, you know, if somebody comes along and says, you know, if you simply add this extra teaching, if you have this extra blessing, or if you do foot washing, or as one gentleman came to me, you know, if you would just go back to the King James Version, you would really see a lot of souls saved. And so we have King James Version people. Or if you pray to the saints, or if you have icons, or whatever, you know, we add things that we think somehow would improve our salvation experience. I'm reading a, a book on Mennonite history because culturally I was raised in the Mennonite community. I guess a Mennonite family his, uh, historically. And the Mennonites believed, of course, in believer's baptism. Uh, and because originally all of them had been baptized as infants in the Catholic Church in Europe, they were rebaptized, which is what uh, Anabaptist means. Uh, those who were baptized again, so they became part of the Anabaptist movement. There were other groups that were part of the Anabaptist movement, not just the Mennonites, the Haldemans, and the, the um, Amish. All part of the Anabaptist movement because they all believed the same thing in believers' baptism, adult believers' baptism. They believed it should be exercised on cognition and confession of faith. Well, there was an interesting that ha thing that happened when the Mennonites and the Amish both immigrated to southern states around Lancaster area. Uh, here they were as uh, pioneers, and they started helping each other and uh, trying to deal with this unknown new world. And as they started working together and talking together about their faiths, they realized that they virtually believed the identical thing. In fact, they got together and compared their statement of faith. 
and said, you know, we believe the same thing. We, we could really join together. There was only one little glitch. Those Mennonites are so modern They use buttons on their clothes. And the Amish said, oh no. We believe you have to use the little hooks and clasps. You're getting way too modern for us. You've gone the way of the world. And so the Amish and the Mennonites kept their own separate denominations over hooks and clasps and buttons. Isn't that interesting? So one group could say, we believe everything you believe, but we just use hook and clasps. <laughs> I wonder in heaven whether that's gonna matter you think it's going to matter? They forgot that both of them were simply saved by Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's get into the text of this argument. What's Paul's argument? Well, the first thing he says is basically, I want you to walk by faith in Christ alone. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, rather than according to Christ. Don't de get derailed here. Paul's saying Christ is absolutely adequate for your salvation. And I want you to walk in Christ by faith just as you began, and don't change it. In fact, he says in verse 9 and 10, he says that for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him who is this fullness, you have been made complete or full. There's nothing more to add. You, you can't really add something more to what's full. If it's full, it's full. And that's Paul's argument here. He says, Christ is absolutely adequate to save you without any kind of additions that you think you could make on your part. Chapter 1, I don't, uh, wasn't here for those messages, but chapter 1, as I read it, is all about Christ is preeminent. Christ is absolutely first and foremost. There is nothing that exceeds him. There's nothing that can compete with him. He is preeminent. You cannot improve on him. You cannot replace him. Is that kind of what you learned in chapter one? I hope you did. Because <laughs> that's how I read it. And so now he comes to chapter 2 and he says, if that's the case, 
If this fullness is in Christ, this preeminence, don't try changing it by adding something to it. And then he goes on in chapter 3, he carries on his argument when he said, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. That little parenthesis, who is our life, is very significant. There's a little rule in language. Whatever is in parenthesis is probably the most important. When somebody visits you at your house and they hem and they haw and you wonder why did they come and finally you kind of tried to realize, you know, I want to go to bed and, and you slowly move to the door and then just as they're ready to go out the door, they say, by the way, that's a parenthesis. And that parenthesis is saying the most important reason why we came here is about what we're going to talk about right now. Well, this is that parenthesis. Christ who is our life. It's the oh, by the way statement. And Paul is saying, he's carrying on from chapter 1. He's saying, you have this preeminent Christ who is your life. In chapter 2, he says, you can't add anything to him. He's preeminent just on his own. Don't add anything to him. He's full and, and, and complete. And of his fullness... You have received. There's nothing more you could add to him. You are, you are saved by Christ alone, and you're not missing out on anything else. And so you don't have to take and find Christ new and improved. You don't have to think that you could improve it. You can't add your own bonus points to him. <coughs> so the second argument Paul makes here. Not only is Christ completely adequate, but Christ plus whatever you think are bonus points would add nothing to your salvation. There were false teachers in Colossae who thought that salvation could be improved if they simply would take and add a little extra. And Paul hints at some of these. He says empty philosophies. Maybe some Eastern mysticism might be helpful for you in your faith. We had that. I remember 30 years ago, we were all do, dealing with the New Age movement, right, in our churches. And I remember some pastors being swallowing it up, hook, line, and sinker, you know. This was kind of that elusive missing piece that we actually could somehow almost become godlike. But we had to learn from this mysticism. Or maybe we think, you know, yeah, Christ is adequate to save, but it sure doesn't hurt for you to take and add some psychology to your faith. I've often been accused in my pastoral ministry years of using too much psychology. I said, well, that's interesting because I've never, ever studied any psychology. 
But I said, I know the greatest psychologist who ever lived. So whatever I know came from him. And I've often said, I think the gospel is the greatest psychological blessing that can come into your life. It can transform you. To know that old things pass away, all things become new, that your past is forgiven, your guilt can be gone. What greater psychological gift can you get? Or he says, how about the elementary elements of the world? Scholars on Colossians figure he's talking about Gnosticism and, and uh, astrology here. Because much of the early world believed that everything had started and was guided and controlled by the stars. So if you could get to the stars, it's interesting, we haven't lost that, right? We just sent up a nice telescope to peer deeper into the stars, to find the origins of the earth. I don't have to go any further into the dark. I just read Genesis 1. But for some people, that's not enough. And there are people today that say, yeah, you, you know, trust Christ, but consult your horoscope. Or he says, how about the man-made things like circumcision? There were people that believed, you know, yeah, it was good to trust in Christ, but, you know, just to be on the safe side. Don't throw out all that Jewish law stuff. Circumcision might still be beneficial or certain rules of eating and drinking. Maybe Sabbath keeping. It's interesting how we have different groups that still kind of say, you know, it'd be good to go back to the Sabbath. So we have Messianic Christians now. Or holidays, holy days. Should Christmas be celebrated based on the Gregorian calendar or should we be thinking of the Julian calendar? Who's right? Does it make a difference? Paul saying, you know, all these things don't add bonus points just because you do them. It doesn't make you more saved. We have our own way of trying to get bonus points at times. Yeah, you know, accept Christ, but you know, you sure should attend these seminars. Or you ought to follow this preacher and really get his spiritual secrets. Or maybe if you go to Israel and actually get baptized in the Jordan. It's amazing uh, when I was in Israel to see how many people flock there and insist they have to get baptized even though they were baptized as adults but they have to get rebaptized in the Jordan as though that's going to add something new and improved now don't get me wrong some of these things are helpful to grow and understand that's nutrition but if you're thinking it's going to give you a different brand of salvation, new and improved, it's not going to. You won't get more saved. 
there isn't a new and improved product than the one you received in Christ. So Paul says, as you received him, just keep on walking in him. I was fortunate I was saved when I was 16, and shortly thereafter, the Satara twins were uh, going through the prairies with the Satara Prairie Revival we had, and they came to my hometown, and to actually to my home church, and you know, there's a lot of things that we, I attended quite faithfully when I could, uh, but I don't remember much of any of it, other than one comment I will never forget. One of them was preaching and simply said, as you go through your Christian life, just say often, remind yourself, Lord, I am trusting you right now. And so through my Christian life, many times when I've been in difficulties, when I've had doubts, whatever, I simply say, Lord, I am trusting you right now. As I received him, so I walk in him. I was trusting him then, I'm trusting him now. It was one of the best habits I ever picked up. And I'm glad I remember that. There is no extra bonus points to add to your salvation. Thirdly, Paul says, Christ plus nothing more is enough for your salvation. He says, you were circumcised by a cir circumcision not made with hands. There's nothing more for you to do. Paul's talking about circumcision being a picture of putting off the carnal flesh. And we all struggle with that, but the fact is, in Christ, you've been given all you need to be able to deal with that. You don't have to go revert back to circumcision for it. He says, you were co-buried with Christ. And I like that, that's the actual Greek rendering, co-buried. It wasn't Christ was buried and then you were buried years, years later. No, you were actually co-buried with him in Christ. You were co-raised with him so that you have new life. The old things passed away, all things became new, right? Paul says. You were co-made alive with Christ. Those are the words that Paul is using here. And he said, all your sins were nailed to the cross. And we often think of that as that little placard that Pilate put on the top of the cross that said, King of the Jews. But that's not what Paul is referring to. In ancient times, when a debt was canceled, you ran a nail through it. And it meant if it had a nail hole, it was canceled, it was paid. Now I wanna give you a visual so you always remember that. When you go into the little mom and pop restaurant and they give you a little tab for your coffee and piece of pie and you come to the cashier and you pay the bill and they have that little thing 
circle metal base and then a big steel pick coming out, right? You're, you know what I'm talking about? And once you've paid the bill, they take that little piece of paper and they, and you hope they don't puncture their hand. That's what it is. Everything that's punctured is paid. So every time you go and have a coffee now and you see that, that's a reminder of your salvation. Isn't that great? It's canceled. And so P Paul finally concludes, he says, don't get defrauded. Don't get deceived. It means don't get sold a bill of goods that you don't need. I find that uh, a lot of people don't like buying cars. How many of you hate buying cars? Okay. You see, I love buying cars because I sold cars. So I kind of know the game. And, you know, you go and you pick out a car and they test drive and they ask you whether you like it. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's a nice car. Well, you know, can we make get a deal on this? Well, yeah, we probably can get a deal on it. Oh, and, and so you finally settle on something that's in your payment plan. Then uh, they say, well, I got to go to my manager to approve it. And they say, well, we can't really approve it for this, but you know, if you'd add another 3,000, we can, we can approve that. Well, you play this game, right? And finally you say, okay, now we got the car. Oh, by the way, now we need to go and see the, the financial department and then it becomes, um, you need extra warranty and you need a pain protection plan and you need a undercoat, right? And all these additions. And soon you're walking out having spent almost another five, $6,000, right? That's where they make the real money, by the way. And they hate it when I come. <laughs> because if we ever get to that place, I just say, no, I don't need any of it. You don't need extra warranty? I said, there's an implied warranty on anything you buy that's equal to your purchase price. In other words, if you get a $30,000 car, that, but for only for 10000 it's implied that this is defective, so there's not much warranty on it. But if you paid $30,000 for that car, there's an implied warranty that it's going to last like a $30,000 car will last. You may have to go to court to get it, but that's actually the rules. So I always turn down all the extra warranties and they don't like me for that. And they want to give me a pain protection plan. I said, my understanding is that this car has a clear coat on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you know that the clear coat is to protect the paint? It doesn't need extra paint protection. Oh, I you will want the undercoat. 
Last car we bought was Shirley's Subaru, and it was used, and I said, uh, no, I don't want a undercoat. Well, you know, it's pretty important. These cars rust from the bottom up, you know. I said, yeah, but, uh, you know, if you actually knew your product, you'd know that every Subaru comes out of the manufacturing place before they ever put the brake lines on and the exhaust pipes and everything, the undercoat at all. I said, go and take a look. Don't sell me something I don't need. Don't get deceived. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because I find as I get older, I find the certainty of my salvation is more important to me than ever before. And I've counseled a lot of people, particularly older people, as they start nearing their own exodus, who start asking me things like, did I do enough? Or am I enough? Am I good enough? Was I enough? Should I have done more? And every time I have to take them back to their initial salvation experience and ask them, on what basis were you saved? Did you have to do anything for it? They said, no. It was just my faith. I said, you know, the program hasn't changed. As you were saved by faith then, you're going to be saved by faith whenever God calls you home. There is no improved version on the salvation plan in whatever 40 years or whatever you may have lived. We all get into heaven like the thief on the cross. He only had a few minutes, possibly, maybe a few hours, in which he could do nothing to add to the plan. You may have 40 years in which you've been able to add to the plan, but the plan didn't change. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. Just like the thief on the cross. And so Christ and nothing more is enough. And that's what Paul's saying here. You know, I try to wake up every morning with two wonderful thoughts. That I am gloriously saved before I ever do a thing in this day. Whether it's good or bad, I am gloriously saved, gloriously loved by Christ. Isn't that a great way to wake up? There's nothing I can do today that's going to make Christ love me less. He died for me when I was a sinner. I didn't suddenly become a saint. There's nothing more I can do that's going to make him love me more. He already loves me completely. What a great way to wake up every morning. And of course, then I roll over and I give my wife a good hug. I'm so thankful that she loves me too. 
Christ plus nothing is enough for me. And I can go and take on my day. It doesn't matter what else will come my way. The two most important things are in place. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Isn't that a great way? I often think that's why Solomon put that in there. So we'd wake up every morning with those thoughts. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to just say to you, as you began that walk by faith, continue it every day. Today, Lord, I am trusting you, and it's enough. Do that every day. Maybe I'd be remiss here if I didn't add something. Maybe there's somebody here that hasn't begun that journey of faith, but you want to. Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you of your need for that gift of salvation. You know, you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You can just quietly, like the thief on the cross, turn your heart to Christ and say, Lord, would you remember me? Would you remember me? I trust you for my salvation. And that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. And if you do, I'm going to ask that you share it with somebody else who's a believer as well. Just to confirm that in your own heart, but then also so that somebody can celebrate with you. Because that's something worth celebrating. Jesus plus nothing but your faith is enough. And that's what I think that chapter is all about. What a great chapter to know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can't add anything to what you've already done for us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. And knowing our carnal nature, we probably would. But we thank you that it's all going to be of Christ when we get to eternity. And so that's enough, even for today. Amen.